the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. We're on day two of a special series of podcasts from around London Shipping Week. Today, I want to talk about the megatrends that are colouring all of the conversations we're having this week. But I'm going to do that with specific focus on safety and what it means for the next generation of talent that we're looking for in shipping. I'm delighted to say that I've drafted in the perfect podcast partner to help me answer some of these big questions. Chairman and President of ABS, Chris Vinicki. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Richard. It's good to be here. I want to start with perhaps your view in terms of the distance from here to 2050. I think it's fair to say that decarbonizing and digitalizing for the next 10 to 15 years, we've got a clear view of what's coming at us. Mm-hmm. But this is a long-term project, it's a generational project, and probably we need classes view to, to, to give us the long view in terms of what we need to do as an industry. So start us off. Well, super, Richard. So, so listen, the, uh, when you look at uh, our journey to 2050, the journey's actually already started. It started a couple years ago, um, and it started with, uh, with EEDI. It started with, um, with uh, EUMRV. Obviously, the focus right now is on 2020, but I will tell you that the regulations, uh, that the focus on 2020 will actually, and that's where the industry should be rightly focused, will actually pale in the context of achieving the 2030 and 2050 uh, targets of CO2 reduction and greenhouse uh, gas emission. And if you look at this journey, you can kind of look at it, and I, I, would, I would think kind of three, three, three phases of this journey. There's kind of a short game, a mid game, and a long game. Mm. And uh, the short game, which we're in right now, is obviously the focus on um, uh, uh, compliant fuels and, quite frankly, uh, speed reduction or speed optimization. That's that's what uh, that's where the industry is focused. In the mid game, when you look at uh, when you look at the calculus to get to uh, 2030, you're going to see that in order to get to those um, uh, 40% CO2 reduction targets, you're going to have to, in addition to that, look at uh, probably things more you know, from a global fleet point of view, things like LNG as a fuel, ship optimization, uh, which is uh, enhanced forage performance. Uh, because what, what will happen is when you look at, uh, when you look at the, actually the math, if you assume, for example, that uh, the fleet will grow about 3, 3.2, 3% per year going forward. Mm. Assume the fleet profile doesn't change. And you actually assume that uh, the 2030 targets are met. What you'll find when you get to 2030 is that 45% of the fleet in 2030 will meet 2050, but 55% will not. So any new vessel coming in um, uh, in uh, 2030 actually has to have zero emissions to make the whole thing works. So what all that says, if you look at it differently, is that we can get to 2030, but to get to 2030, and it's a very clear line of sight, but to get from 2030 to 2050, that's going to require uh, looking, the technology's not there. There's no clear fuel solution. Uh, it's going to take probably a, um, it's going to be a hybrid Solution is going to is going to require lots of different things. It's going to probably require looking at uh, f- uh, fuel types and fuel mixes that uh, uh, that we uh, that we talk about today that have not that are not scalable, not producible. Mm-hmm. Looking at different things, you're going to have to look at that in combination with continued efficiencies in terms of um, managing um, the operations. 
Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, I think the challenge for the industry is is how to start working on those things now. You cannot leave this. I mean, this will be for the next generation of leaders. But for this generation of leaders to basically kind of put it in a box and let it wait, I mean, that's not, you know, that that's not the, uh, the responsibility of leadership in general. So we have to start talking about it now rather than, than uh, waiting, you know, uh, going forward. Talking is is fine, and mm-hmm. I, I think you know this week has only proved that there is at least a recognition of what you've just said. The difficult bit is yet to come, and there's a lot of people worried about this. There's a lot of people talking about this. I'm not seeing that matched with hard cash in terms of investment. I'm not seeing um, much evidence of tangible pathways beyond the immediate cycle of investment. Am I wrong? You've got a better view on this. I want your view in terms of, you know, is the industry taking this seriously enough? And, uh, you know, is this just being kicked down the road uh, and, and left to the next generation? No, I think the I think I think there is there is a, there is a, a, a real seriousness going forward. I think who's going to pay for this mm. is a big issue. Okay, Particularly given the current market conditions. That's correct. Is it going to be is it going to be. Um, uh, you know, is it going to be kind of voluntary or is it going to be driven by some sort of uh, prescriptive requirement? I think this is this is a challenge because this will not be this will cost uh, um, this will cost money to develop and so forth. Um, and it is it is I think I think this is something that uh, everyone is uh, beginning to think about uh uh, going forward, and I think it's still an unanswered question, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, relative to uh, uh, just exactly who will who will be financing this. Is it going to be the charters? Is it going to be you know there are discussions about a tax? Uh, you know there are discussions about well you know what we've done this before. The market has this magical way of of uh, sorting this out, so the market will take care of it. Uh, but the reality is everyone, though, is to some extent spending time and energy right now mm. uh, uh, working on this because it's uh, uh, whether it's uh, shipbuilders that are uh, looking at the next generation of designs, whether it's uh, whether it's um, uh, ship owners, whether it's even class organizations like like ABS are are making investments uh, moving forward to to position the organization to be in a position to support the industry. So, you know, you have things like the Poseidon principle, where you now have uh, uh, where you have uh, kind of not only benchmarking, but uh, you have uh, uh, environmental performance kind of tied to conditions of finance and mm. financial performance. So you got a lot of things that are kind of running around right now, have not yet totally been connected. But to be honest with you, it's very we're in the very early innings of a baseball game right now. Mm. You know, this is a process that that kind of is uh, was going to follow, I believe, kind of. A, a natural process of change, storming, forming, norming, and performing. We're in the storming phase right now, and I think you're seeing this week, and you'll continue to see this, uh, you know, over the next, uh, quite frankly, several years, just discussions on, um, you know, uh, how these how these big, uh, these big blocks are going to be kind of moved together to, to kind of align 
to uh, to form a successful path going forward. Mm. I mean, you've, you've used uh, the phrase new normal before. It's the, sort of the buzzword going around the industry. But I mean, new normal, as you've described it, is just reliable uncertainty in terms of both market development, in terms of the technology that uh, is yet to be developed, in terms of how regulation yet to come down the line in terms of digitalization, decarbonization is going to form the market. All of this is, is, is great uncertainty. Of course, uncertainty is one thing shipping doesn't like very much. Uncertainty and, uh, and predictability. I mean, this, when you look at where we sit today, this, this new norm that I talk about is really kind of shaped by essentially there are three, three big changes that are going on, kind of shifts relative to what we've seen, let's say, even five or ten years ago. And, of course, these things bring, you know, uh, you know, challenges and, and we'll talk about you know the five challenges that these three changes bring together but market uncertainty and predictability and recognizing that in dealing with that is is one big change the other big change and is uh, and it kind of links to this uh, journey to 2050 is just the recognition that um, uh, these new regulations that are coming out are actually going to become global um, shipping cycle, changers or mm. shapers. So your your normal supply and demand cycle is now going to be artificially uh, altered by these by these regulations. Uh, and the third big change is the technology, the new technology, the untested technology that in fact uh, is coming on the market to satisfy these regulations and the rate of change of technology which is going to impact um, everybody. Uh, that now has to be recognized, acknowledged, and quantified mm. in some of the decision-making process because vessels are being ordered with 15, 20, 30-year lives today that are going to go forward. Exactly. And I, the, the thing I take issue with is the way that this is sometimes being pitched at a fairly high level in the industry as a sort of an evolutionary process. And, you know, from sail to steam, steam to diesel, we've, we've gone through this cycle. I don't see it in those terms. That was a market evolution led by technology that, uh, you know, allowed efficiencies and there was a natural evolution over a very long period of time, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we need to recognize. This is different. This is imposed. It is artificial, to use your words. It is uh, a, a regulatory change that is going to enforce a much quicker pace of change disruptive. than we have ever seen. It, Th this is disruptive. I mean, these yeah. shifts are basically almost tectonic yeah. in, in nature. Uh, and the, and, and, and this, is, this is not just about technology. This is about people, about culture, about mindsets uh, moving forward. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's more about just the solution. It's about potentially even changing the way operating models of shipping companies are done, looking mm. at, uh, you know, you just look at people. I mean, data will be very important in this whole process, even, even, even with respect to uh, working our way through the, um, um, uh, you know, getting ourselves along this low-carbon journey. But data in itself will basically force all of us to begin to think more horizontally than vertically, mm. okay? And data will also require all of us to bring in uh, or develop, maybe is a, is a better word, different types of talent sets to be able to take these decisions. And when you start looking at uh, what digital talent looks like and trying to um, uh, you know, have it work side by side with analog talent, Mm. Uh, it's a big challenge for 
all stakeholders in this industry, everything from regulators to uh, class societies to ship owners to shipbuilders, because people now become the key to this uh, the key to this success. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you one great example uh, at ABS. We, you know. Class societies are also going through a digitization, digital transformation. You know, we're, we're actually also adjusting to this new norm. Uh, at ABS, we are working now on uh, what the next generation of classification looks like. It will not be a calendar-based environment anymore. It will be a condition-based environment. We mm-hmm. will move away from the five-year survey cycle, like similar to what other industries have done, and start moving towards a condition-based class cycle. That's a huge disruption. Mm. Uh, uh, but an opportunity as well. But it's an opportunity. It's it's an event. It, it's an opportunity to take advantage of the data that is coming in uh, to be able to provide much better services, uh, uh, and uh, but at the same time be less uh, intrusive. Mm. Uh, but it's just a whole different way of looking at things, you know, going forward. I mean, you, you picked up on the people uh, issue, and I think that is the probably the most important aspect of what we're talking about. You know, it's, I have every faith in the engineers. Uh, engineers come up with solutions, and we will have the technology and the data manipulation standards to be able to do all of these great things that we have envisaged for ourselves as an industry. Getting the people in place and the talent and doing so at a stage where every other sector uh, globally is competing for the same digital yep. next generation talent. That is a tricky thing and I think that's probably where the industry really has, if not dropped the ball, it's certainly somewhere where we need to focus much more um, uh, astutely as an industry. I, I totally agree with you. Listen, I think we've talked technology doesn't have a personality, doesn't have instinct, doesn't have common sense. This is all going to come to people. It's going to be it's going to be talents and talent sets that uh, have the ability to handle this rapid change. So you're talking now about a new generation of talent that is uh, that has kind of the natural ability to reinvent itself. Mm. And so, I mean, we see this at ABS. We have now actually uh, data scientists. We're actually, we go out, we're getting different skill sets, data scientists, computer scientists, systems engineers, uh, and we're sitting them side by side with domain experts because it, the magic formula here is data domain expertise. Um, and uh, and data science, mm. uh, and um, but uh, every organization now, and this will, will will culturally will have to bring in and have to compete. Listen, you're going to be competing with the same type of people, quite honestly, that go to Google, mm. that go to Amazon, um, and uh, you you need that type of um, that type of very creative, learned mindset to be able to b- begin to handle the things that we need to do going forward. And it's going to be probably one of the biggest challenges. It's, in fact, it may be the tougher part than just trying to understand what the technology is and its implications uh, because a digital uh, digitization requires digital culture, digital mindset, and that in itself is going to be, um, is going to be very hard for organizations to pivot if they're not careful. Mm. Let's just bring this back to class um, before we finish, because I think the question of where class fits in this is a really interesting one. Class has been going through, I think, a sort of reflexive period of of, of what is the nature of class? What do we do? And I think it's fair to say that all the major societies have uh, struggled with, uh, you know, describing exactly what you do in a a digital environment. And 
the way I see it, you are focusing uh, obviously primarily on safety, and safety remains at the core of what class does. But it's so much more than that now. It is about people, it's about data, it's about uh, the digital integration of a supply chain that spans well beyond the assets of the ship now. We're talking about cross-sectoral interoperability, I guess. If sure. You want to put a term on it. Listen, we, we, we sit really uh, in many ways uh, at ground zero of, um, of, um, of what we were talking about. We, we, we are one of the few organizations that inherently have direct, direct linkage, not even indirect linkage, with regulators, equipment manufacturers, shipbuilders, ship owners. Um, and therefore, uh, in addition to our safety role, I want to talk a little bit more about safety, because mm. safety itself will change in this, in this 4.0 world. But uh, we, will be, we will be called upon to be um, uh, kind of the honest broker uh, relative to this and, te- and to some extent play a role in technology integration uh, moving forward in this, in this environment. Mm. But the one thing, and, and it is very important, what class can never forget is kind of what, what it was built to do originally, and that is to follow its safety mission. And one of the challenges, you know, we talked about the three changes. Uh, you know, there's five challenges, and we're, we're, we're talking about some of them. Digitization, automation, cybersecurity, performance optimization, um, low, you know, the focus to low-carbon shipping. But the fifth challenge is the safety challenge, which is making sure that in this process that we're going through, we capture any, un, you know, the impact of unintended consequences on safety. Because mm. safety risk will be tested when you look at new operate, new ways to operate, more efficient ways to operate, different types of decision making, different types of alternate fuels, different types of technology. And so safety is going to be challenged and someone needs to continue to make sure that uh, from an industry point of view that that, that, that safety conscience is in fact um, kept in front uh, front and center because safety, quite frankly, has been the mantra of shipping. And so what am I talking about? What I'm talking about is, is essentially um, safety today for a class society, for example, is really focused on what we see, right? The structure, mm. the equipment, you know, all the, all the systems. Safety tomorrow in the digital world is going to be focused on things we don't see, mm. the software, the data, the data analytics that drive the decisions that we're trying to make moving forward. And so what's going to be very interesting is, and I believe that ISM is going to actually become the safety framework of the future. It's going to be more than just a compliance requirement. ISM, because of its system, um, the way it's been developed from a system point of view, is actually built to handle the complexity of some of the things that we're talking about. Because safety in the future is going to be synonymous with reliability, it's going to be synonymous with cybersecurity, it's going to be synonymous with other things. It's Mm. got to be able to, you need a a framework that can handle, that's non-prescriptive, that can handle the different types of technologies and the rate of change of technology. And I believe actually that ISM uh, will become very, very important uh, and will actually be the uh, the uh, the framework for this industry more so than it is now, which is just essentially, in some ways, just a compliance requirement 
that is uh, that is driven by a uh, you know a statutory requirement. This will become front and center. That is, the, you know, the criticism that has been leveled at ISM in the past that it is effectively just treated as a paper exercise by much of the industry. But you seem to be suggesting that it I I, more I think that this is going to really kind of blow itself out. I think that the management tool going forward mm. to really begin to because this this world now is moving from in moving into a systems world this is systems thinking 101 systems integration just look at the complexity of what we have on the vessels right now this is not going to be just a prescriptive uh, requirement for a piece of equipment whether it you know mm. this is going to be much more general so this is where I think and I, I don't think the industry, has picked this up yet. Uh, I'm not know. hearing people talk about this. And yeah. the, I guess the question I would pitch to you is, you know, are you worried? You know, we've, you've described a very complex series of disruptive headwinds on a macro basis. Uh, you've described uh, almost a fundamental rewriting of some business models. With all of those moving parts, the concern is safety drops off the agenda. Are you concerned that it's not being taken seriously enough right now in terms of the planning between here and 2050? I think that it is uh, the, um, the the concern that I have is I think it's I think safety is taken seriously, uh, but I think that uh, the, the 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 playbook has not been completely written. The the um, you know the, the the continued unintended consequences that could come up. I'll give you a great example. Actually, I go back in history. Look at EEDI. Mm-hmm. Great example. That this was your the fir- energy efficiency design index yeah. for those not that familiar was, with that. That was your that was your first. You know, when you talk about your journey to 2050, that was your first. Uh, that was your first kind of benchmark, so mm-hmm. to speak. Very simple formula. Um, I had a very interesting relationship between power and speed. And what happened was that uh, that uh, in the in the um, uh, in the in the focal point to reduce CO2 and look at that, people forgot about the fact that uh, you know you can only go down so far. You need to have uh, certain minimum speed requirements because you have to have certain power because mm. you're going to need it from a safety point. Very simple example. Mm. Uh, and you can bring that forward when you start looking at alternate fuels. Listen, when, when you look at even now in 2020, you know, people talk about the, the shift to compliant fuels. There are all sorts of uh, uh, things that need to be um, implicit and explicit that needs to be dealing with safety. And this, this gets even more complicated uh, going forward when you start looking at cybersecurity and you look at software. Software is the next generation safety system. I'm telling you, it is going to, it's the system you can't see, but it is a system that actually, it's not going to be the structure, it's not going to be the equipment that's going to cause the next accident. It's probably going to be something dealing with software, software related. Well, there we go. If Brexit hasn't scared the listening public of Lloyd's List, I think you've just uh, finished off their week for them. So, um, Chris Renicki, uh, G- uh, President and uh, Chief Executive of ABS, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Perfect.